Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and reasons why it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand it better. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to send a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you can submit your question. Then I'll be in contact with you, probably get a few more details, and then I can share an answer on the air that can provide information for the listeners. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market report, and this is for the week ending December 20th, 2019. And I'd like to start out by saying that this is Christmas week. It is Hanukkah week. There are many holidays and festivities being celebrated right now. And so I hope that in spite of the stock market and dealing with your money, you are having a very, very wonderful holiday season. But last week, the market ended really very well. The Dow was up yet again, 1.14%. The S&P 500 was up just a little more than 1.5%. The NASDAQ, which continues to be our leader, is up about 2%. Gold even got in the act, going up about a third of a percent. And oil went up by just a tiny amount. Even the 10-year Treasury went up. Now the rate is 1.911%. And if you listen to the show over the weeks, you'll see that we're crawling back. We're approaching the 2% number. It really does suggest to me that we're probably done with the interest rate cuts because the market is now reacting like it expects the next move to be to the upside, not the downside. So 2019 is coming to a close, and so far the market is being very resilient. The government stayed open with the passing of the omnibus bill. That was the area that I was a little concerned about, although it didn't seem to look like it was going to become the showdown that it did last year. In addition to that, um, the impeachment did not make the market go down. And I think it's because right now the market was anticipating an impeachment in the House and not a conviction in the Senate. Now, what would make the market react is if something looked like it was happening in the Senate and there was a chance that he was going to be convicted or that the trial would bring forward information that would sway the American public and possibly sway the election that's coming up. So, you know, people have contacted me this week. What do I do because the president was impeached? And the truth is the market saw this coming a mile away. Everybody saw this coming a mile away. Markets generally react fairly well to information they're expecting. 
markets don't like surprises. So if they get a surprise and it's a bad surprise, the market will typically react quite poorly. But any issue with the president's conduct got baked into the market returns a long time ago. At this point, it would take something else that would make the market really have a strong reaction to the downside. You know, we're always watching. As I get information, I try to share it with you to help you stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in the market. But right now, things really look fairly good and. You know, barring some catastrophic thing from North Korea on Christmas Day or something like that, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market end well for the year. And we'll talk more about that in my last Ask Peggy segment. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And this week, I have some. Really unexpected and remarkable news. Talking about legislation passed that we all thought was dead. In fact, I might have even made a joke about it in my Halloween show about how dead it really was. The Secure Act, which is a major revision to the rules around retirement, retirement planning, and retirement accounts. Somehow managed to get attached to the omnibus bill, which was the bill that we needed to have passed to keep the government open. And because it was attached to the omnibus bill, it passed, and the president signed it into law the very end of last week. In fact, it was while he was on Air Force One flying to Mar-a-Lago for the holidays that the Secure Act became law. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this act. So, what I want to do today is give you some of the highlights and a little bit of cautionary information, and then I'll be writing a longer blog about this where I can go into more details. I'll give you guys the link to that as soon as it's up. And I will also be talking about different pieces of this in more detail on this show as we really come to understand what this is going to mean. But there are a few things that you need to know really, really soon. The first is you remember how you had to take a distribution out of your IRA at seventy and a half. Well, you don't have to do that any longer. They've raised the age to seventy-two. Now, it's not apparently retroactive. So, if you turn seventy and a half this year, even though the Secure Act passed this year, raising the age to seventy-two, it doesn't apply to you. So, if you haven't yet taken your required minimum distribution, you need to do that by December thirty-first, or you'll have a fifty percent penalty for the amount that you were supposed to take that you didn't take. But for people who are turning seventy and a half next year, it looks like you will not now have to take a distribution until you're seventy-two. Now, truthfully. For most people, by the time they're seventy, they're already retired, and they already need to take the distributions because they need the money to live on.
but it is nice to allow two more years of deferred taxation growth in your account if you don't need it. So certainly this is a conversation to have with your CPA and your certified financial planner practitioner. Additionally, they changed the rules around the contribution. They no longer say that you can't contribute to a traditional IRA after you're 70. It used to be, or 70 and a half, it used to be that when you were 70 and a half, at the same age as required minimum distributions, even if you had a job, even if you were working, you couldn't put money in an IRA any longer, a traditional IRA. Well, that's gone. There's no longer an age restriction for putting money in your IRA. Now, remember, to fund an IRA, it must be earned income. It can't be a Social Security payment, and it can't be a distribution from another retirement account. You would literally need to have done something that year to have worked. doesn't count for passive income. So dividends, income, capital gains, none of that counts. Earned income. Lots of people I know are working into their 70s. And most of the people who I know who are working into their 70s are doing it because they really like to work. Remember, when we decided that we were going to set 65 as the retirement age, the average life expectancy was just a couple years after that. So people were in retirement for a couple of years and they died. Well, now at 65, if you're in good health, you've easily got a 30-year life expectancy ahead of you. So doing something to allow that continued deferral to pay for retirement expenses, I think is an unbelievably good feature of this SECURE Act. Now, a change, and this also probably impacts you, is if you have an IRA and it has a balance in it, when you die, it used to be that your heirs had their lifespan to take the money out as distributions. It became inherited IRA. There was a required minimum distribution that was taken each year and not going into the weeds. It was calculated slightly differently. And they could stretch, it was called a stretch IRA. They could stretch that IRA balance and the tax benefits out over their lifetime. That is also gone. And the new rule is beneficiaries must withdraw all the assets out of the inherited accounts within 10 years. I do not know yet in what form or fashion. Again, this is just like the overview of something we're going to have to unpack over a number of weeks. But if you were planning on holding that money so that your kids could inherit it for a specific tax reason, you need to call your CPA as soon as the holidays are over because that strategy just blew up and you have to take the distributions now within 10 years. And I'm guessing that will change a number of people's financial planning issues. Couple other quick things. The first is there can be annuities now inside of 401k plans. Even though I'm not going to talk very much about this, this is really important. So I'm going to be talking a lot more about this in the future. But it will be important that you understand all of the rules around this. 
And you want to make sure that whatever you take for your retirement distributions, that you know what you can and you can't do, any potential limitations, which I would be surprised if they could put those in, any potential penalties, just be very, very careful You should have been doing it before. You should have been careful before. But now that annuities have been added to 401ks, you need to be doubly careful that you know what you're doing. And then finally, small businesses now will have an easier time setting up retirement plans. So I'm hoping that the end result here is that it will be easier for small business owners to offer retirement benefits for their employees. If it all shakes out the right way, this could be very, very useful. There's some wrinkles, and I need to read more because this just passed. But for right now, if you are a small business owner, you also need to talk to your um, certified financial planner practitioner and find out what you can do, how you can handle this, and what are the best steps for you to take. So more to come in the future. Unbelievable. Everyone thought it was dead. I would love to know who actually got this attached. If I hear any good gossip, I'll let you know on a future episode. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, even though it's Christmas week, New Year's is lurking just around the corner. And there actually isn't going to be a live show next week. Instead, you're going to have a show that's a series of the best of questions that I've had asked to the show. So it'll be a new program. It'll be fun to listen to. Everybody seems to like the questions the best anyway. But this is my opportunity to talk to you before 2020, the new year, the new decade, a little bit about financial New Year's resolutions. And I'm staying in my lane because I know about money, and I don't like people who feel compelled to, like, get way outside their lane and give advice on other topics. I will say, however, most of the principles in this segment are why most New Year's resolutions fail. So even though we're talking specifically about money, if you have other resolutions, they might help you out a little bit. So... Let's begin with the number one mistake that people make when they make a financial New Year's resolution. They say, I'm going to fund my retirement plan this year. Or they say, I'm going to save money this year. Sounds great, right? The problem is it's vague. When you're going to save money, you don't know how much money that is. If you're going to fund your retirement, you don't know how much money that is. And it's much easier to cheat on a vague goal than it is on a specific goal. So rather than saying, I'm going to fund my retirement this year, I want you to create a resolution like, I'm going to fund my 401k up to the level of my employer's match if you're not doing that. Now you know exactly how much money you have to save. Or if you're funding an IRA, I'm going to put $100 a month into my IRA. Now, that would not maximum fund it, but I really like to use examples that aren't so big 
that you couldn't do it. You know, when I was studying for my CFP exam and I would look at the practice questions, it would be Mary and John Smith have $5 million. It's like, well, that's really nice, but those aren't like the clients I'm going to be working with most of the time. If you have more money, obviously, to fund your IRA than $100 a month, that is what you should do. But if you aren't putting anything back, I want you to set an amount you can do. So be specific. The second resolution, which is tied just directly to what we were talking about, is be reasonable. Okay, why do New Year's resolutions fail just across the board? Because we say stupid things like, I'm never going to eat French fries again as long as I live. I, I am never going to eat carbs. I am never going to eat meat. You know, whatever diet form you're on right now. Or I'm going to save $500 a month and put it in my emergency fund. Well, the problem is you might feel like that's what you ought to be doing, but you may not have $500 a month to put into your bank account. So what I want you to do before you create your resolution is I want you to do a cash flow analysis if you haven't done one already. And I want you to look at what are your bills? How much money is left? Where is the money going? Are you wasting some money, like through a lot of eating out, a lot of drive through windows or meals or partying with friends or shopping or whatever it is that is your go-to activity that you don't really have to do, you just really like to do it, and find a way to trim that back so you free up some cash. Once you know how much cash you realistically can put towards your savings account or your retirement account, those are the numbers that influence what you need to do. So, for example, maybe after you finished your financial plan, you decided you really needed to fund an emergency fund and you really needed to plan for your retirement and you had $200 a month left over. So a strategy could be to put $100 in savings and $100 towards retirement. You know, that would be whatever you and your financial planner worked out. But that's so much smarter than not doing the cash flow analysis first and saying, well, I'm going to save $300 a month or $250 a month. Because you know what happens. You get to the end of the first month, and I know you're supposed to pay yourself first. I've heard it too. But getting started, that can be really scary and hard to do. And you get to the end of the month and you don't have $250. Maybe you have $200, that $200 that we just calculated. But it isn't what you said you were going to do. So you might even put it in savings that first month, but you're mad at yourself because you didn't meet your goal. And the reason you didn't meet your goal was your goal wasn't realistic. There was no chance you could meet that goal. So I want you to look at everything and I want you to use numbers that you can actually do. If you have a huge problem, maybe you have a lot of debt, the next strategy is break a big goal into small, manageable pieces. So when you look at your debt and you say, your, your goal for 2020 is I'm going to pay it off. 
<laughs> that's twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars worth of debt. Good luck, because you know you can't. Okay, realistically, you know unless something has massively changed in your world, you can't do it. But you set it as the goal because sometimes we set the goals we think we should set to get us where we think we ought to be, rather than the realistic goal that we could actually manage. So if you've got a lot of debt, break it down and figure out realistically how much could you pay off this year. Break it into bite-sized pieces. Because here's the other mistake people make. They have a big financial goal, and they don't have a lot of money to save towards it every month. So you know what you do? <laughs> Nothing. You don't save anything at all. Because why would I put $50 back into my debt if I owe $10,000? Why would I do that? That's silly. It's not silly because every two months, that's $100. Every year, that's $600. You can get things paid off if you break them down into smaller pieces. If you just look at it and you decide that what you can do isn't good enough to get you there, then you don't do anything at all. Remember, the old saying is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Then additionally, I want you to look at your plan at least once a month. And if you fall off track in January, get back on track in February. Because the minute we break our New Year's resolution, we give ourselves a pass for the next 11 months, and that's not the way to prosperity. So if it falls apart once, just get right back up, try again. You can do it if you keep plugging away at it and you don't get frustrated and angry, and then you don't look at your money again until next December. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I teased this question a little bit in the first segment of the show. This week's question is, Peggy, I've heard of the Santa Claus Rally. What is it? And I get this question often. Basically, the Santa Claus Rally is roughly what you might expect it to be, which is an end-of-year stock market rally. Typically, it goes through the very beginning of January, like the first one or two trading days. Sometimes it doesn't. But so for the last, say, two weeks of December, you have the Santa Claus Rally. Where I was confused about the definition is, you know, Santa comes on Christmas, so the Santa Claus rally would end when Santa came on Christmas, but it doesn't. It tends to extend through the very beginning or the very end of the year or the beginning of the next. So why is there a Santa Claus rally? Because two-thirds of the Decembers since the 1960s have had a Santa Claus rally. Anytime you get something in the market that happens with two-thirds certainty, then it actually really does become a thing. Now, 
That also means that one-third of the time it doesn't. I am not suggesting that you go out into the stock market and bet the farm right now saying, oh, Peggy said the market's going up. No, I did not. I'm defining a stock market rally, and I'm defining a Santa Claus rally. I am not suggesting it's about to happen. In fact, there could be reasons why it doesn't, but I want you to know what it is, and I want you to know why it is with some of the more more casual reasons and then where I really actually think the truth of the Santa Claus rally comes from. So, you know, people are in a good mood, right? It's the holidays. There's lots of holidays in December. And so people are in a good mood and they have a tendency to be more upbeat about information. If I was going to use a stock market term, I would call them bullish about information. And so there's just this sense that the market goes up because people are in a good mood. That's true. There's another slightly less optimistic reason why I think Santa Claus rallies happen. Two things are going on the last two weeks of December. The first thing that's going on is for professional portfolio managers, they have to meet certain return numbers at the end of every quarter, and especially at the end of the year, because what's everyone going to talk about the first week of January? It's how the market did last year, right? And so many players on Wall Street have absolutely no motivation to lose a lot of the gains that they had acquired over the course of the year in the last two weeks. So now I am not suggesting that markets are manipulated because our stock market is actually too big of an entity, too many moving parts, too many things going on. However, if you have the vast majority of the players on the market really wanting things to go okay, they can stave off bad news. And there's not a lot of news the last two weeks of December to move the market. Last year was very much an anomaly because the government was shut down and nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> Remember, last year is one of that one-third of the time the market didn't go up. So it's very common for markets to go up the very end of a calendar quarter and even more common for them to go up the end of a calendar year simply because the portfolio managers need to make their numbers. Additionally, a lot of people are on vacation. And when people are on vacation and market participants are on vacation, the big institutional investors, then it's the retail consumer that tends to drive the market more because the institutional investors aren't investing. And so retail investors are much more likely to be swayed by that pleasant holiday spirit than an institutional market manager will be. So when you combine the general good news, the need to make the numbers, and the lack of institutional investing in the last couple of weeks of December, then it makes sense why we might see the market go up at the very end of the year. Santa Claus rallies are kind of fun because they have a name. Really, nobody is paying attention to it while it's going on. 
That's another reason why it tends to happen, because people really aren't paying that much attention to the markets this time of year. They will snap to attention in January, and then we'll see what's going on in 2020. So as I said earlier, this is my last show of the year. I have really appreciated all of you guys listening. I'm really excited with the new stations that have come on the air this year that are carrying my show. So for wherever you are in the United States right now, I really want to thank you for taking the time and listening to the show. I'd like to encourage you to go to askpeggy.com and send me a question. In addition to that, there's information about me. My blog is there. You can find out more about me and what I do. It might be fun, might give you some opportunity if you wanted to learn more about the markets next year. That might be a good place for you to start and do some reading. Have a great 2020. Be prosperous. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.